Bibles, Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be. A very famous portion of the Christmas story. We're going to read 8 to 20 and then just reflect on a few lessons from the shepherds, seeing God at work. Luke chapter 2, if you don't have it in your Bibles, it'll pop up there. Well, I mean, if you don't have your Bible. If you don't have it in your Bibles, let's talk about what kind of Bible you got. So, if you don't have your Bibles... It'll pop up there. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them considering, or excuse me, concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. All right. As always, so much uh, good stuff in God's word. There is a danger in the Christmas story of the familiarity that can keep us from the the awe and wonder uh, that these beautiful truths deserve. So I want to challenge us as I challenged myself uh, reading these Christmas stories that are very familiar, the narrative of God's incredible work at Christmas or what became Christmas. The challenge is to come with that childlike heart and come with, in a sense, a a blank slate where we allow the Holy Spirit to, almost like we've never heard it before, open our eyes afresh to the glory of God being revealed in this passage. And so as we hear this narrative about the shepherds, there's a few things that I just want to draw our attention to that I believe the Holy Spirit wants to encourage us with today. One is this simple phrase that I had never quite seen before in this light. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
Now that word good news, we've talked about it a lot. It's the word euangelion. It just means gospel. It's, it is the word gospel. There is no other word. And it simply means good news. But as I was reading it in different translations, and what popped out is when you insert the word gospel here, there's something that I don't think gets enough attention. Fear not, for behold, I bring you the gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. And it just really struck me as an in. A captivating phrase worth meditating on. The gospel of great joy. The angels were announcing to the shepherds the good news. A gospel of great joy that's for everyone. And right in that little phrase, the gospel of great joy, there is so much that is revealed about the nature of God. I mean, check yourself on this. When you think of the gospel, when you think of the good news that God has, when you think of the, the character and nature of God, like get, get real and get honest in your conception of God and what God has for you is great joy right in the top and in the middle of what it means to receive the gospel. It's right there. The gospel of love, we might, you know, yeah, yeah, God, God so loved the world, that, is, that should be appropriately central to our understanding of the gospel. The gospel of God's peace, as it's often called, that's okay, yeah, I need peace in the craziness of life. This might be the only place that it's constructed in this particular fashion with joy connected, but I love that it's not just joy. It is the angels announcing the gospel of great joy. The good news has great joy for all people. To me, that will reform and transform my mind. It will reform and transform my understanding of the nature of God. To, to meditate on this truth, that God's good news, if it's anything, and it's many things, but it's a gospel of great joy. And I take that as good news and a healthy challenge, that God wants more of that for us, for me, for you. It doesn't take long to get into God's word and, and see the consistency of this message, and so I want to share just a few of the the favorite ones out there to, to show that this great joy that the angels are announcing as part of God's good news for all of us is deeply part of God's character and nature. When Jesus was describing heaven in that famous passage about the, the, the parable of the good stewards, you know, well done, good and faithful servant, et cetera, et cetera, he's describing the picture of heaven when it's all said and done and we stand before God and we give an account of our life and we want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, what does he say? You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Heaven is a place full of joy, but joy is not like an abstract quality that you enter into. God is joy. God, joy is God is full of joy, and essentially you could think of it as God's throwing a huge party in heaven, which is very biblical, by the way. That's Revelation 
where it says the marriage supper of the Lamb. There are no greater parties or celebrations in that culture than a marriage feast, and Revelation is described as an eternal marriage party, a celebration of the bride with his bridegroom. And so this picture of enter into the joy of your master, and I love being able to have my mind transformed by Scripture that says God is a person of joy. God is full of joy. And to finally enter into the perfection of all things is to be welcomed into his joy. Come and enter into, partake in the joy that God has. He wants to share it with you. And that's very similar to what Jesus would say about himself at the Last Supper in the midst of looking at the cross and all of the suffering that was headed his way, his mind was also on joy. And I love that because this is not a joy that, that discounts or pretends that life doesn't have hardships and suffering and trials and pain. Jesus is saying, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Because he's able in the midst of looking at the suffering coming to say this in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you so that your joy may be full. It's unbelievably encouraging that Jesus is a man of joy, just like the Father is a person of joy. He carries constant joy. Jesus is a man of joy, even in the midst of trials and suffering unbelievably beautiful, powerful. And he says, and I'm sharing all of this with you in this Last Supper so that you too can walk in the joy that I have. In fact, I want your joy to be full. It's good stuff. And then Romans 14, 17, to complete a Trinitarian picture of joy, Father, Son, and Spirit, Paul says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. Those, just those three are mentioned in that context. Joy in the Holy Spirit is a part of partaking in the kingdom of God, in the gospel, in the good news of God's reign in our life. That's what the kingdom is. When God reigns in our life, that's the gospel, According to Mark 1, 14 and 15 from Jesus, the kingdom of God is at hand. When God reigns in our life, we will participate in joy. His joy. The joy of heaven. And let's include one beautiful cry from the psalmist who says, You make known to us the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I love that the gospel of the kingdom says that pleasures are not something that you need to be ashamed about. The desire to have joy, to have pleasure, to be satisfied is not something that's sinful. Now, you can put it in the wrong direction. But the inherent longing for pleasure and joy and satisfaction is a good gift from God. And God is the source that is going to fulfill that joy. 
When we are in relationship with him, and to the degree that we increase that intimacy with him, in his presence is the fullness of joy. And so to me, that is these scriptures I'll just expand upon and confirm and affirm the angel's encouragement. It says, don't be afraid. God's at work here. And God's gospel of great joy is for all the people. And so in some kind of completed sense, that right there to, to me is something worthy of, of pondering, worthy of meditation in this Christmas season and beyond. That reforms and, and conforms and transforms our mind. This is good news because there are lots of lies out there that says that in this world, you just expect suffering until Jesus returns. And that, that is like a half-truth that can end up being a demonic lie. Yes, in this world, will we, we will face troubles. Jesus himself said that. We will face suffering. But Jesus' own example is, but in the midst of the troubles, in the midst of the suffering, take heart, I have overcome the world, and I still have a joy that I want to pass on to you so that your joy may be full in this life. I mean, Jesus is giving them, in that John 15 passage, those are, that's the Last Supper. And he is giving them instructions for living in this life now that he's going away. So it's not just this kind of end times, eschatological kind of when Jesus returns and makes everything right, then we can look forward to joy. No, then we can look forward to our joy being absolutely full and complete as we enter into the joy of our master. But in the meantime, if in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Is his presence available now? <laughs> what did Jesus say? I'm going away, and that's good for you because I'm sending my spirit who will be with you at all times, who will never leave you or forsake you. So to me, this is such an encouragement. I'm not going to let the lie of the world or the, or the painful circumstances of life define my picture of God. In the midst of the trials and tribulations, God's heart is there is a gospel of great joy for me to encounter. And so that's worthy of pressing into and continuing to press into, to let it be the picture we have of God. He is a God of great joy, and he's inviting us into greater and increasing experience of that joy. I find that is good news. Is that good news? That is beautiful. And just to be clear, in case you were hearing those lies of the enemy that in some way you're not worthy of this invitation. He makes us worthy and he shows us that in its early form by who he chooses to reveal himself to, the shepherds. Now there is a very positive historical view of shepherds among the Jews. Shepherds were, it was a 
At times, it was seen as a, a position of wealth because if you had flocks and many flocks, that was that demonstrated blessing of the Lord. I mean, Abraham had talked about you know the all the thousands of flocks that he had. You see that. You see maybe a, a culminating picture of the high esteem of shepherds in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Beautiful picture of God shepherding his people. David was a shepherd and then rose to, you know, the the position of king of Israel. Jesus speaks very positively of shepherds in his own ministry and how God is like a shepherd. He calls himself the great shepherd. But in first century Judaism, at this time, shepherds were viewed quite lowly. Their opinions, the opinions of them on the broad scale had decreased in some sense as a diametrically opposed type of people to the Pharisees. As the Pharisees began to rise in religious power and prominence among the Jews over a period of a couple hundred years, and you know, you know, you've heard about the Pharisees with Jesus. He has a lot to say to them. But in essence, what, he, what Jesus often comes against is the, the religiosity to where with such, with such fervor they were legalistically stuck on rules and regulations and took the, the beauty of the law and, and in a sense just ran extreme with it, ran wild to the point of Jesus says, you, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. They began to, to miss the point of it all. Where they would, you know, he says, you tithe, you know, dill and cumin, but, but you missed the point. Your heart is far from me. So it's not about these just ex- external actions. God wants your heart that lead to obedience. And so the shepherds, in a sense, embodied everything that the Pharisees weren't. The Pharisees wanted this very external observance of the law and shepherds based on the the duties of tending sheep 24-7 didn't participate in a lot of or weren't able to participate in the activities of the the worship, of the community, of the law because they were out tending the sheep. And so as the Pharisees gained prominence, they began to really just kind of speak negatively as, as those are the examples. They were, at that time, mostly just kind of hired men. It was no longer a position of wealth. It was like the hired position. And so they were kind of the, the peasants among peasants, the irreligious peasants among peasants. And as that reputation kind of was told to them, as maybe often does when you tell someone long enough who they are, they step into it. And so they be also kind of became known as thieves, as they would travel around and roam around in that nomadic lifestyle, it was kind of became the thing or the known of they might just kind of, oh, kind of grazing on your land a little bit. Maybe grab that along their way and keep going. To the point that you can see in rabbinic literature that they were considered unreliable and not allowed to give testimony in the law courts. And Hold on to that thought. We'll get there in a moment. So, that's shepherds at the time. And the angels come. And they say, fear not, behold, I bring you the gospel of great joy that will be for the super religious people who impress God with their outward actions. (laughs) All the people. 
And as God loves to do often, his message is also embodied in who he's giving the message to. In a you know, beautiful stroke of divine irony, the words of a gospel of great joy to all the people is revealed to a group of people that the religious leaders would be completely offended by. The idea of God choosing to reveal that the Messiah has come to this group of you know, pseudo-poor, peasant-among-peasant, irreligious, irresponsible, not trustworthy, maybe steal your stuff, not worthy to even have their testimony given in court as a reliable witness. And God chooses to make them the first to hear that the Messiah is born and that there is good news of great joy for all the people. The shepherd's first response was probably, me? Who, me? And so that's where it's like, oh my goodness, there's good news for us because that's still today something that the enemy loves to poke and prod about, is to say, in some way, you're different. In some way, you're not worthy of revelation. In some way, you're disqualified from the gospel. In some way, you're not good enough like those people who in some way seem to look like they have it all together. So for God to speak to them, yeah, that makes sense. But God wouldn't speak to me. Lies. And the shepherds are just that beautiful embodiment of God's gospel that is going to go to all the people and eventually to all the nations, every tongue, tribe, and nation. And it's right here in this choice on God's part. I mean, let's just think about this is Christmas. Kind of a lot's on the line for God. He sent his son into the world. He sent the Savior, the Messiah, And now he has the choice. Who is he going to tell this to? Who is he going to tell that this great news, this gospel of great joy, that's for all the people that the Messiah is finally here? And he chooses the shepherds. If he chose the shepherds, he will and has chosen you. Jesus does this all throughout the Gospels. It's a reason why he has a ragtag group of people. It's a reason why he has a tax collector. It's a reason why he has a former prostitute hanging out in the followers, in the disciples, in Mary Magdalene. Jesus embodies the Gospel that God so loved the world, the whole world, and his great, great joyful Gospel is for all people. You can't disqualify yourself if God won't disqualify you. And that's good news. And more than that, even, is I am struck by how God wants to reveal himself in ways to all people that are so personal. So personal. 
Let's go back to that thought that shepherds were considered at the time in the culture unreliable, unable to give testimony in a court of law because they are not credible witnesses to entrust with news. Luke 2, 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Let me pause real quick. That's just a beautiful. The Lord has made known to us. That's the word revelation. The word, the the Lord brought revelation. That's a big, fancy, spiritual, important, high and mighty word, right? Yes, and it's for everyone. The Lord brought revelation of his nature, of his character, of who he is. And and that's not just for information's sake. That's, That's for relationship's sake. He brings revelation so that we can know him and then make him known. And not know him in the sense of just information about him, but that we can know him in covenant relationship, in intimacy. That's all throughout the Bible. That word gnosko here that's used. Revelation. That you would know God. So, the shepherds get revelation. And that's part of, I just want to, Put, I want you to put yourself in that category. You are not disqualified from revelation. God wants to make known himself. He wants to reveal himself to you in ways that are glorious. The shepherds aren't better than you. Just like the Pharisees weren't better than the shepherds. And you might not have the same exact revelation that the Messiah has come. That one's covered. But the heart of God is the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The gospel of great joy for all the people where God steps down into the world and personally reveals himself to you, to those who are unworthy or think they're not good enough to be seen by God. That's the point. And that point gets carried on through the entire life of Jesus. Where Jesus loves to turn upside down the typical script of the world, which continues today, even in our insecurities and weaknesses that says, well, God probably only saves those special revelations for you know the, the really religious people. The really good people. Like, that just doesn't exist in God's world. I mean, you gotta seek Him and you gotta be open to it. But the picture throughout Jesus' life is He picks those people that are unexpected. And He says in very, very personal terms and things that only kind of they know, kind of those secret places in the heart. And he reveals the nature of God, in a sense, to their deepest questions or their deepest insecurities. And he says, this is who I am. I see you, I know you, and I have a gospel of great joy for you. It's exactly what he does to the shepherds. He reveals himself to them. And it's so cool how God does this, because it's, sure, it's like big picture. It's for 
like the Christmas story, so it's kind of like not just about them. It's for the whole world. I mean, we're reading it 2,000 years later, so it's not just for the shepherds, but it is also just for the shepherds in this sense right here. It says, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has made known to us And they went with with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard their testimony that they're not allowed to give. I inserted that to help us all follow along. All who heard it were in wonder, awe, amazement at what the shepherds told them so the shepherds get revelation it's so cool and then it says that they went on and delivered revelation it's the same exact word in the greek it's the gnosko one so verse 15 the lord has made known to us he gives us revelation and then what does it say in 17 and when they saw the baby they made known Now they're the conduits of revelation. They're passing out the revelation that they had received about this Christ child. But look what they're doing. It's so personal. They're the givers of revelation of the saying that had been told to them. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They're doing the very thing that the entire culture, including the high up religious leaders that are kind of the mediators of who God is, had told them they were unworthy to do. How personal is that to them? That while they're hearing the whole message, their whole life of God thinks you are unworthy of telling anybody a message because of your poor character and, and peasanthood and, and irreligiousness and you're not even worthy to be trusted in the court of law with anything you say, but God trusts you to carry his good news of great joy about the Messiah for the first time ever in human history. You're telling me that's not personal to them? It's amazingly personal. It's overwhelmingly personal. Yes, God's accomplishing his bigger mission, but he's doing it in a way where the shepherds aren't just little, you know, automaton robots. God's doing his big work and at the time rocking their world with how personal he is to them. And they deliver a word. And what does it say? All are amazed. All are in awe and wonder. That's language that is used in the Bible to talk about revelation of God. (laughs) So the ones who are not worthy to give testimony, out of their mouth is coming revelation of God that is causing all in their presence to recognize that God is here. Come on, man, that's good. Wow. (laughs) The encouragement for us is seek him. 
Seek him. Expect that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That in the midst of the big works that God is doing in the world, and he is, that doesn't discount that he wants to bring you up into that and reveal his nature in the midst of that and in a part for that, because you have a part to play, whether you think it looks big or looks small, that doesn't matter. God will take the little things or the things that the world says is small and he'll make them big in his eyes. So he wants to meet you right where you are at with revelations of his nature that are incredibly personal that then become tools in the hand of God as revelation of his nature to others. I get so encouraged by this as an invitation from the Lord to seek him, to ask for these kind of revelations. I mean, these shepherds are the ones here and many others, especially in the life and ministry of Jesus, who are meant to encourage us, this is who God is. God wants to be asked for revelation. He wants to show himself mighty on behalf of the poor in spirits. Those who recognize that they don't have it all together and their only hope is that God might show up. Yeah, Jesus says, what about that? Yours is the whole kingdom of God. Okay, <laughs> that's pretty, pretty good. Or Hebrews eleven six comes to mind. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. See, the, the shepherds get me encouraged to seek the Lord for the reward that when we seek him, there is reward. And what's the reward? More of him. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of it will be added unto you. Right? But it's the kingdom of God. It's more of him. It's, we sang that song. It's, it's not about like that he owes us anything or external blessings. It's like that stuff comes and God's overwhelmingly good, but it's at its core, it's about, oh, I'm hungry for more revelation of who are you, God? Of who you are. I want that great joy of knowing you. And so seek him for that reward. Seek him as the, as, as the shepherds give us that encouragement that God loves to bring revelation. And it's not because you have got it all together and you're worthy. It's because he's got it all together. And he makes us worthy in Christ. I mean, just a couple weeks ago, I had a, a fresh encounter of this where I was... I, kind of found myself in a, in a trial, in a tribulation, in a hard time of, of life because they come. And, and a question came on my heart that it was kind of a deep question. It was very personal. And so normally I just kind of like share it all with you guys. Like, but honestly, this was one was very personal, so I'm not going to give you the details. But trust me, I'm not making this up. A very personal question started getting really big on my heart. And, and to the point where there was like, there's some pain associated with it. And so I asked God, I'm like, God, as a beloved child of yours, I really need an answer to this question. And, and kind of quickly, if you're not too busy. You know, it's like, as, as, 
as you grow in the Lord, you, you, there's the, the little twinkle in his eye where, you know, he says, come like little children. Are little children in a healthy home, are they scared to, to ask? No. So I wasn't scared to ask. Oh, my God, I, I, I kind of need this right now. And kind of quickly, you know, now in, in God's sovereign and good timing, I, you know, if an answer hadn't come quick, I'll, it would be a challenge, but I would trust him, right? Or I'd try to. Lord, now help me trust you because <laughs> the answer wasn't quick enough. But it was just a sense of like a child like, God, I really need an answer, and I kind of need it now. So that was a prayer on a Monday night. Tuesday morning, when I wake up and I turn my phone on, there is a, a nine-minute video from a good friend who was woken up by the Lord at 3 a.m. for me. So I apologize, friend. <laughs> like, <laughs> I owe you a breakfast for that one. So he shows up in his bathrobe, and he's, he's, he starts to share with me. I, I'm woken up. I can't sleep, and I feel like the Lord put me on your heart, and he gave me this word for you. And he proceeds to share a nine-minute prophetic word in a bathrobe that is 100% the exact answer that I asked the Lord for an answer to like five hours prior in his time. You know, It's like 10 o'clock at night for me. I go to sleep. 3 a.m., God's like, hey, brother, I got some work for you. I got a child to take care of. And so that was beautiful. And then the next day, happened to be having coffee with another friend. And we had scheduled it a few weeks back. So it was just a coffee to kind of hang out, catch up. And this friend says, hey, before we start, I know we're just kind of hanging out. Don't mean it to be too heavy. But I felt like the Lord gave me a prophetic word for you. Could I share it at the beginning? And I was yes. I'm chuckling because I know what's coming. It's the exact same word from my friend the day before, which is the exact answer to, uh, God, I need a little help right now. Do you see me over here? A little answer, please. And I'm just a little shepherd, right? <laughs> like, I'm just a little child of God. I'm 100% convinced. That's, I'm not more special. I don't have more access to God than you or the Pharisees or the shepherds. This is just about the nature of who God is and how good and present and personal he wants to be to his children. So seek him because he rewards the faith of those who ask. And the reward is more of him. And so there is even though the trial and circumstance didn't immediately change because I knew the Lord saw me and was present and was personal, that helped me to be able to take joy, I'll be honest, not quite yet great joy of the gospel, but at least a, a good taste of joy in this very fact. God is real. God is present. God is personal. God is my Savior. God speaks. I mean, that's, that's a lot of truth right there that, sadly, many people in the world have never encountered. Some people are way back at that question of, like, does God even exist? Maybe all this just came from nothing. That is increasingly the posture that people carry in this world. And no wonder they feel valueless, purposeless, 
Does God even exist? Does God, okay, maybe he exists, but he's kind of way out there. Just kind of an ab abstract concept. Versus, does God care about me? Does God see me? Does God have good news of great joy that is personal for me? I mean, those are things now, now we're getting real. I, a lot of us in the room, right? That's like, whew, I know God's real. I know Jesus loves us. But he kind of feels like way out there at times. And I believe, and I, you know, I believe it. Yeah, Jesus' life, death, resurrection, that's, that's, that's good. That's true. That's real. I believe it. And when I die, he's going to take care of it all. All that's good and true, but if, it, but if he's way out there, there's so much more. He shows us with the shepherds where he says, I'm going to take your deepest insecurity, the lie that you've been told your whole life about who you are, and in the midst of God working for his big and mighty schemes, he's going to also work in a way that's ridiculously personal to you where you might walk away feeling like you're one of his favorites. And that's good. So to me, that, that's a weapon right there for joy, even in the midst of hard times, is to look back at what God has already done clearly. Because there's, there's some interesting things, even for the shepherds, as they received such abundantly amazing revelation and, and about the Messiah. You know, when it says at the end of the passage, they returned and they were glorifying God and praising God for all that he had said. I wonder how that returning to being a shepherd felt when they heard about Jesus getting put on the cross and dying. To the first century Jew who almost entirely across the board, the conception of the Messiah was the political leader, the king, the literal physical king, who would overthrow the oppression of the Roman Empire. So to see that Messiah die on a cross at the hands of the ones he's supposed to overthrow, and they're hearing about it as they're out in the fields, they might be like, what? What? I mean, I'm just imagining. We don't know in the text. But the unfulfilled expectations of God's promises is challenging for all of us, right? We have an expectation. We have a, a picture of, of what we think God has promised and exactly what that's going to look like. That's ex I guarantee they had that. And what do they do when, when whoa, our, our Messiah is hanging on a cross of our oppressors. Now, we can look at this side and say, well, obviously they don't know the whole story yet. There's a resurrection to come, and the, the kingdom he spoke of was not of this world in that way. Jesus refused to be the political king because he was going to be the, the king. Of, he is the king of the universe. And he's setting up a gospel of the kingdom that has to do with the, the invitation to be made right with God through the forgiveness of your sins and to be born anew, to become a new creation and to enter into a relationship with God now that wells up into all eternity. And yes, this world will get transformed little by little. And when he returns, he will eradicate all evil and injustice and wipe away every tear that's in a way that's way better than any earthly king sitting on the throne 
just in Israel. But they didn't have all that at that time, so we don't look on, can't look on them and be like, oh. So for me, what should they do when their expectations are not met and they're confused on the promises not yet being fulfilled? Because that's what we can all relate with, right? Go back to the genuine revelation that has occurred. And I believe you all in this room have had them or you can seek them and ask God for them. Where he wants to reveal himself to you in a way where you have no question whatsoever that he exists, that he's good, that he cares about you, that he sees you, that he wants to speak to you personally, he wants to be powerful in your life, he wants to break the lies over who you are, he wants to break off that insecurity that you're not good enough. I mean, all they have to do is remember all those things and remember that God gave them revelation and then they were a mouthpiece of revelation and all were amazed and so much was broken and that, even in the midst of unyet, quite, not quite yet fulfilled promises, they have reason for great joy. So I want to encourage us and challenge us this season that in the midst of the trials of this life, which are real, in the midst of the struggles and even of this season, for some, the Christmas season can be particularly difficult and painful because of a reminder of loss and brokenness. And in the midst of those very real things, which was very real for the, the longing that Israel had under the oppression of the Romans, that's what we feel now. It's under the oppression of this world that's sinful and fallen and broken, and we're kind of like, win God. That God wants to be personal, powerful, and present enough that there is joy in his gospel that there is joy in the midst of the trials because of how personal, powerful, and present he has been and wants to be for each and every one of us as we seek him and seek the reward of more of him. So let's pray. Dance a new dance